Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Women Offshore Podcast. This is Ali Cedeno and Christine McMillan. We are both experienced seafarers. And at Women Offshore, we are making waves. The Women Offshore Foundation propels women plus into meaningful careers through access to a worldwide community and professional development resources while raising awareness amongst industry leaders and decision makers about issues affecting women on the water. This podcast is an integral part of our mission, and we appreciate you listening in. New episodes of the Women Offshore podcasts are available every Tuesday. Subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on and be in the know about the latest topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion within the maritime and offshore industries. Thanks for tuning in. We have another great episode for you today. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Sexual assault and sexual harassment will be discussed. We advise listener and reader discretion. We do our best to hold these topics with sincerity, and we hope that you'll listen in only when you feel ready and able. Check the show notes for support resources, and please take care of yourself. So today I have with me on the podcast, Captain Beth. Hi, Captain Beth. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here and in this virtual world, being able to meet with you. You're currently sitting in your captain's office right now. So tell me where you are and what you've been up to lately. Well, right now I am the captain of the Empire State Six being operated by Pesha Hawaii. And I am docked at beautiful Taylor's Point here at Massachusetts Maritime Academy, where I went to school. All right. This is my second training ship captain job for Pesha. Over the summer, I was captain of the Golden Bear for an actual NARAD training cruise. And this one is really just a shift as much as anything else and getting her ready for her end of life. So this ship's going to the scrapyard, is that right? That's correct. Wow, it's kind of sad. Or are you just happy to see it going? It's kind of sad, but the keel was laid in 61. I mean, it's it's time. <laughs> she's, just, she's reached her end of life. She's been in service a long time. It's almost impossible to keep her up to code. Yeah. Old steamboat. You know, there's still two open lifeboats on deck. Right, man, if those bulkheads could talk, what would they say? I bet they have seen so many cadets walk through those passageways. It's just crazy to think about the life of that vessel. It is really weird to be here as the captain because I actually did training cruises on here when mass maritime was between ships of the early 2000s. Oh, cool. So I just want to dive into your role as a captain now and like, tell me about your leadership style. How did you get to where you are? And can you give us a little background of your career of starting out as a third mate and making it all the way to captain? You know, I graduated Mass Maritime in the winter of 04. And I started working with Masters, Mates and Pilots, working off the force the years. I did a little bit of American heavy lifts, old tanker outfit there. I was, my first trip was actually as 18. And then after that, continuing off the board to Central Gulf and Mares. And then at one point, I was, I was a permanent chief mate for Central Gulf. 
And when I left there, went back on the board and I've been working around. I've been APL and Mares and Patriot, all as chief mate. And I've been here with Patia as just second meeting captain. Wow. Amazing. So can you tell us about how you've led your crew and have you struggled as a female leader in like getting through to your men? At times, yes, definitely. It's a bit of a struggle because it took some time. Yeah, I, I try to avoid any sort of yelling or raised voice because I found that it is just completely ineffective. And I have a much easier time with giving the snare, giving clear instructions and giving the, you know, I'm the captain or I'm the chief mate and you can go home. This is your job. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's been times where I've had to, to threaten the firing more than I would like to. Yeah, that has to be hard. Yeah, it can be, especially if yeah, you're not really someplace where you can fire anybody. <laughs> I've had some interactions where there there've been some people that they just see they just see tall blonde women and don't want to listen to me, especially interdepartmentally. Not so much as captain. Captain's this weird peak place, but as a chief mate or as a junior officer. Yeah, that's like a story you just basically experiencing misogyny and misogynistic behavior. Do you have one specific story that you could share with us that you've experienced that? Well, I was on one ship where I did, I was chief mate. I had a chief engineer that was just completely not giving me the respects of being a department head and being in charge of the deck and knowing what I was doing. And I kind of started basically yelling at him and it just didn't work out well. And the whole relationship was basically dead from that point on. Like we were both working through the captain. Occasionally we talked to each other and try to be cordial, but it was, it was touch and go. Whole rest of it. And I was tough. That was a long trip too. That was months. I've also a little harder to talk about, but I had an issue where I was touched inappropriately via crew member, sure. And then later when I reported it, I was harassed by the captain. And I was chief mate at that point. And I was harassed by the captain in front of Chief Begekas. I brought the chief engineer in. They're a third mate. I'm so sorry. And he was was just yelling at me about why are they here? And complete lack of believing what was going on is what it seemed like to me. I I actually went home from March. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Elizabeth, that you had to go through that. But I feel like it's made you a stronger leader and a lot more empathetic. I think so too. You know, the aftermath of that, therapy and all that, I learned a lot about trauma responses. And now day to day, especially the captain position, when I get somebody who's getting upset about something, I immediately think about, is this person having a trauma response? And more often than not, you know, and I'm including the men in this. In fact, it's usually the men. More often than not, yes, there's a trauma response going on. And somebody's getting upset because of something that happened earlier in their life. Yes, you have a unique and empathetic response for your crew, which is a wonderful leadership trait. What we haven't told our listeners yet is that as a transgender woman, much of this adversity is new to you that you have experienced lately. You started your transition about three years ago. 
And before that, you had 38 years of presenting as male. You did face adversity before transitioning. It was just different, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, most of that 38 years was childhood. <laughs> I got a lot more experience. And so you can speak really to, to the female experience now of, of what it's like. And you've had to change your leadership style because of your gender. That is correct. So before transitioning, because so I'm, I'm one of the few people you'll ever meet that has sailed as chief mate completely presenting male without people questioning it, at least not outwardly, and sailed completely presenting female without any sort of, without any sort of questioning that I could see. As far as I can tell, I pass. And I hate that term. I don't know any others. And yeah, I had to change my leadership style. It was strange working as a, as a male chief mate. I had to raise my voice at times. There's, there's no other way for certain people to take it serious, take me seriously. The exact opposite is what works now. That's so interesting. So you have to find this softer approach. That's correct. It was a challenge early on. That, that particular chief engineer insert that I was talking to is the perfect example of how I ended up having to change things because it, presenting as a man is, it was an expectation that there's certain circumstances where you just get aggressive. And if you don't, there's certain personality types that won't, won't take you seriously. They just won't, they'll just completely ignore you. And it's, it's for the exact same personality types are the ones where if you do that and you're a woman and you can raise your voice like that, they just completely shut off as thinking they, they go into the stereotypical PMS or just it's completely and totally unfair and absurd that there's men out there that would much rather be calmly, politely explaining things to people. And yeah, it works with people that want to work, but as soon as they have somebody who's a problem that they're trying to get to work, it just doesn't work for them. And that same tool doesn't work for a woman. In my experience anyway. It hasn't worked for me, especially not as a senior officer. That's so interesting that your behavior is respected in in one circumstance and then completely ignored or overwritten in another. As a female chief mate and as a female captain, you're finding yourself having to explain things or be like a lot more nurturing. Is that kind of how it has been for you? Has that been your experience? Yeah, it's more nurturing. It's a lot more like parenting. <laughs> I am good at, at the look. I, I do have a child. I've always been good at the look. But the other thing is that as a female leader, I found that you have to go down the, the official path more often. So mm. in the male role, like a male chief, maybe that threat of action is enough. And the female role is more likely for us to have to actually have a formal counseling session or formal verbal warning or a formal written warning. But ironically, at the same time, for a woman, it's more likely for that path to actually cause a change in behavior. Oh. So the men don't have to go that path as often. But when the men do go that path, 
it's somebody that they're about to fire. Oh. And it's unlikely for the them to get a change. I mean, sometimes you do, but it's it's less likely. Whereas for a female leader, that path is actually more likely to create a change of, of behavior and improvement wow. of work. Wow. So interesting. Yeah, it's it was quite the surprise. Lots of things from the surprise. <laughs> <laughs> what other surprises have you experienced? Not really surprised. Some of them not as much. It's just basically yeah, my whole time sailing, I've always been friends with the women I work with. Before transitioning, I yeah, I was the, the one that everybody went to. And I thought I had a pretty good idea of just what I was getting into in terms of my work environment. And the reality is I was wrong because there's just a lot of day-to-day cultural misogyny that happens, like low-level microaggressions that happen all the time. And you get used to it. So a typical, you know, cisgender woman or a woman what transitions as a child, you, you figure that out at puberty. And then you kind of forget about it. Like so much of it is just day to day, ignoring that or nope, not going to say something like that. That'll cause a bad response. But I ended up having to learn it all. Wow. In a very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't change how I think. How I think is the same. It's, It's always been that way. I mean, the whole time that I was closeted, I was very miserable. It was, it was a mental health nightmare. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't. I was suicidal and I didn't even realize I was oh, suicidal. My gosh. Wow. I didn't know what it felt like to not be depressed until I started the hormones. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you really have come into your authentic self more and more. Yes. So I haven't changed how I think, but I have had to change elements of how I act. Wow. And for that matter, I had learned to fake masculinity growing up. I went to, to middle school and high school in the 90s. You know, I was trying my best to fake masculinity and it was not a very good act. <laughs> I got through it. Yeah, I've had to change how I respond to things. And I've had to, especially like in social environments, you know, going out, going ashore to a bar and things like that. I, I had to relearn all the warning signs and you know, there's things that in the past I would have sarcastically said, but now I just let go, it's like completely ignore. Nope. I'll pay yeah. attention to you. And it's wow. And there's lots of it all the time. And, and at this point, it's actually probably really good that we're having this discussion now because we're starting to reach the point where I don't even notice anymore. It's become after a few years, it's becoming second nature to me. So it's that a lot of that low grade stuff we we don't even see anymore. Right. The microaggressions that go unchecked by mm-hmm. so many of us that have beca- like you said, have become immune to it. And now you are too. And you mm-hmm. have such an interesting perspective of of seeing it from both sides. And so what's your advice for women? What can we do to become better leaders? So first off, don't try to copy the men. Okay. That's the traditional leadership programs we have at the academies. They, they were created in a completely male structure. They're, they're really a 19th century military training structure. They're outdated. They also, they teach 
the kind of leadership tactics that don't work well for women. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure that they've evolved some, but... Yeah, not much. Not much. Yeah, not much. That's so funny that you mentioned that because I had this conversation with when I was at the academy about empathy and all of my classmates thought that I was this like hippie flower child for trying to bring empathy into the leadership conversation. And I was like, don't you want to lead with empathy? And they were just like, no. And so now it's like, you know, it's coming full circle where you're saying, yeah, the leadership model that we have at so many of our institutions aren't working And, you know, it's teaching a man how to be a leader, but not really anybody else. Or, you know, it's like completely blindsiding how much we need to grow and become better. Basically, yeah. And also just be authentic, be yourself. If I had just been authentically myself earlier in my life, I I would have gotten to this point of sailing captain a lot earlier. There there were a lot of years where I was just kind of fumbling, just kind of getting by. Did a lot more second mate time than I should have. And also it was hard to develop those lasting professional relationships because basically every day of my life was an improv act. Wow. Every interaction was fake. And to some people, I'm sure it felt fake because it basically was. Yeah, your your authentic self wasn't there. Exactly. Wow. Beth, you're giving great advice. Can you give us one more piece? You shouldn't be afraid to stand up for yourself. It's scary when things do go wrong, when there is an issue, but it's the only way to make things better, to advocate for yourself and to get help for people to advocate for you. And that's where, depending on your type of employment, that could be your union, that could be your your HR department, your designated person. That could be the, the legal end of things. It could be your enforcement agency, depending on what, what flag you're flying. And I personally am a big fan of early reporting. I've seen where it can work out really well. I've had people come up to me with things that were bothering them, but they didn't think they weren't sure if they should report it or not. And I've been able to, at that point, talk to the person who was getting them trouble and that person usually doesn't realize they did anything and they almost always change what they're doing within the mayor because they do want to keep their jobs and most of them don't want to upset anybody and when you don't report it usually it just gets worse and worse and worse until it does absolutely turn into something where someone's getting fired Early reporting gives an opportunity to the, to the senior officers on the ship to not be in the position to fire somebody because they can counsel the issue instead of having a real issue. Yeah, that's really great. Thank you for that, Beth. So what can we do to be more inclusive? For starters, we need to judge people based on what they're saying, not necessarily how they say it. I, I actually, surprisingly, I have not gotten a lot of transphobia. I've gotten, I dealt with a lot of misogyny. I've not dealt with a lot of transphobia. I've dealt with some, but on the ships, the actual day-to-day on the ships, I, I really think that the, the misogyny is actually the bigger issue. And I think when the, when the transphobia does show up, like you hear, I heard from a lot of other people, I think that's transphobia because of misogyny. Mm. 
I think a lot of men are really threatened by the idea that somebody wouldn't want to be a man. Oh, interesting. It just blows their mind and breaks their worldview. And I think that's really where where the transylvia stems from. Because otherwise, really, who cares? (laughs) Right. Like, are you here? Are you doing your job? There you go. All I care about, are you here? Are you doing your job? Are you causing other people trouble? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's really nothing else that we should be worried about. Like anybody should be worried about. Yeah, that's a great message. So do you have anything else that you want to share with the Women Offshore community? I don't think there's a lot of resources for transgender people in the industry. It would be nice. Uh, yeah, I, I ended up navigating my own way through, through the name change process. Mm. I have helped some other people. I've met online elsewhere, but there's not a lot of advertising to it. And part of it is that there's, I mean, there's, there's still people in Congress arguing whether or not I exist. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, these people are afraid to be out, yeah. you know, and, and for people like me, like, you know, like I could go sell. Mm. I mean, apart from having all these years in the industry. Well, I, mean, I graduated in 04, so I've got a lot of sea time. So I, I can only go so stealth because any given time I get on the ship, it's, it's a coin toss. Is there somebody there I work with? And then the second toy toss, are they going to recognize Oh, me? wow. Is there a lot of anxiety in that moment of joining a new vessel? Or has it relaxed a little bit for you? There's a lot of anxiety with it. There's less anxiety than I used to have before transitioning. Because before transitioning, I was worried about every interaction and pre-planning how to talk to people and everything else. And so I'm a little bit more comfortable just being myself. I, I know that I have the support of my union. My union's been wonderful. So I know the rules. But at the same time, there's, there's a reason why I'm only interested in working as a senior officer. Because <laughs> being yep. the chief mate or being the captain does insulate you from a lot. Because if your job to enforce the rules, people usually don't mess with you too much. No, that's a great point. For those younger in the industry and starting out in their careers, I think that you're right. We don't have a lot of resources and you're an amazing mentor for us all. And you're being so brave with coming out with your story. And I think you're an amazing woman. And I'm so excited that we get to share your story. I learned so much as a cisgender white female. I don't get a lot of exposure to what it's like to live in your shoes. So having conversations like this is so good for me because then I can help others when they come to me and they say, Christine, I'm struggling. I need help. And I can say, oh, Beth told me the story once and maybe I can help you with this, right? And so I think that it's all so good to share it. Yeah, it's 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 a big thing. And it's and at times I have other challenges too. Like so I, I remember one ship I was on and I'm on the ship, I'm chief mate, we're getting ready to do stuff. Young female friend mate comes on. And so I go up to meet her because we're alongside with the dock and all that. And She's there. It's just the two of us. And she looks at me and says, what's it like being a woman on a ship? And the very first thought that ran through my head was, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> and I, I just started pushing the advice that other people have given me. Because at that point, I really didn't know. 
Captain, I've had so much fun speaking with you today. Thank you for being here, for being brave, for sharing your story. And I cannot wait to speak with you again soon. Thank you so much for having me here on the podcast. I was a little worried and a little reluctant to come on, but this being out publicly is rather scary. But I really felt like this was a this, this was a story that needed to be told that could help so many people because of this very unique story that I have, this very unique experience. Even even among transgender people, it's it's very unique to do the same management level job presenting opposite and not have people know while you're on the on the job. It's not something that many people experience. And I just felt that on oh so many levels for oh so many people it it's needed to be told. So again, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. Come back next Tuesday for another new episode. If you want to propel Women Offshore forward, visit womenoffshore.shop. Make a donation or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there and we will talk to you soon.